Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Shoeless Goat podcast. We are a Chicago baseball podcast focusing on the Cubs, White Sox, and MLB. Uh, unfortunately, my normal partner, Nick Anton, is not here tonight. He's off doing things that are apparently more important, like being a lawyer or something. So I'm joined today by another Nick, uh, Nick Phillips, a host of the Go With The Flow podcast, another LMBF joint. Nick, how's it going? Bovhan as we like to call you. Thanks for having me on, man. Glad I could fill in uh, for Mr. Anton. Um, guess I'm in the nick of time, folks. Oh, oh, that we got to keep those puns coming. That's going to be that's going to be big for the show. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> so so uh, you just got back from tonight's game, right? Yeah, it's correct. We're recording here on uh, Sunday night baseball. Um, you know, right after the game, uh, Cubs won uh, four to one, won the rubber match against the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, Lester went six and two thirds. Um, Chris Bryant extends uh, his on base streak to 22 games. He had a single and then he hit a pretty pivotal two run homer um, in the seventh inning, I believe. So, yeah, one four to one after a uh, quite a long game on Saturday, 15 inning affair. Uh, walk off by Wilson Contreras. So, the Cubs uh, this past week had uh, three walk off homers um, at home. Uh, Chris Bryant. Um, Jason Hayward and Wilson Contreras. So uh, Wrigley's been buzzing. They've won uh, eight of their last ten. Uh, you know, up now two two games up in the Central, four up in the loss column on Milwaukee. Uh, hate to see it, dude. Yeah, definitely good to see him reverse that trend against the Brewers because for the last like year, it's been it seems like every time they play the Brewers, just find a way to win. So kind of reversing that trend, getting a couple walk offs going, even though. Uh, Wilson Contreras' bat flip wasn't quite as good as a Tim Anderson one, but you know, <laughs> at least he got he got the energy going, so we'll take it. Yeah, a little fun fact, not so fun, uh, especially people that remember game 163 uh, last year at Wrigley, which was a disaster before you and I actually attended the uh, the Rockies yep. uh, Cubs uh, wild card game. Uh, bats got a little cold, but actually going into um, this series, the Cubs had lost 10 of 14. Um, to Milwaukee, um, and it was obviously 11 of 15 after they dropped uh, the first game. So, yeah, we're right on the money that these guys have kind of had their their number um, the past, you know, four or five series that they've gotten together. So, um, you know, it was kind of frustrating. You know, they, the first game was a joke. They lost 7 nothing, and you're kind of sitting there like, wow, they you know, they won like 17 of 22, I think, at one point. And, I mean, they just buzzed up the standings. The Cardinals have had a free fall, losing 9 of 12. Um you know, Milwaukee, I think, uh, just had their seven-game win streak snapped. You know, they won their seventh in a row against the Cubs uh, on Friday. Not against the Cubs, but obviously seventh in a row for them the past week. And, uh, you know, you just as a Cub fan, you're like, wow, they, you know, they've been playing great ball. Chris Bryant's heating up, uh, getting some, some timely hitting from a number of guys. And it would just would have been uh, frustrating to see them put in all that work to get in the first place and then continue to shit their pants uh, against the <laughs> – against the Brewers. So I'm glad that they were able to bounce back, uh, scored six runs, uh, in three games. So, uh, they're playing the Reds who actually have been pitching very well this year. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I believe they have the best ERA in the, at least the NL. Um, they're got one of the better staffs going this year and they've got a plus 30 run differential, but they're in last place. So the bats were not so good the past three days against Milwaukee and the Reds pitch pretty well, but, uh, 
we all know Great American Ballpark's quite a hitter's park, so you know anything can happen. But uh, intrigued to see how you know they they do after this ten game homestand uh, against a good staff. That's that's a good point though. You know that the plus thirty run differential normally that's a good indication that you're going to be winning some games. So just wait to see if that starts to like course correct a little bit down the stretch. But uh, until then, Reds are stuck in last. Um, and I, again, I feel like I say this every week on this show, but the whole uh, the Cubs fan crowd from early in the year, about 10 games in that were uh, crying the end is nigh and the division is over. That seems to look pretty silly about now, which again is just how much I love April baseball and the overreactions we see. Yeah. The starting rotation has really picked it up and obviously they started one and six large part due to, I think four of the first seven games were pretty much bullpen losses where they did enough to win and the bullpen, um, you know, let them down and they were looking like they potentially had the worst bullpen in the entire league, not just the NL, um, but all of the MLB. And then ever since then, they've now, I just saw a stat like within the last week that they are nearly the best. They are, they have the best uh, bullpen ERA in baseball. And it was like between them and the second place team, which I believe was Toronto. It was almost uh-huh. like an entire run, like between them being number one and two. And if for those who are watching, you know, those, miserable games in late March and early April where they just, the bullpen just, they, no matter what Joe man decide, you know, no matter what Joe man did or no matter who he put in, they just weren't getting um, any positive contributions out of anybody and Brandon Morrow being out and all that stuff. And CJ Edwards having to get sent down to Iowa because he just lacked command and uh, to see the contributions they're getting from a number of guys has been um, encouraging. I, I think I speak for most fans when I say that, uh, you know, my, hope and it's my expectation as a fan that you know provided they keep playing the ball they're playing um would be very nice if they went out and uh, i think like that's the biggest target they're going to have at the trade deadline is uh go add a couple more arms because i mean kyle ryan's a nice story like c-shack's a good player you know strokes just not a he's not a closer um he, he had a blown save earlier in the week against the marlins which was kind of a tough scene but um walked the first three batters uh, loaded the bases so that wasn't good um, but yeah, they, Kyle Ryan's been a good story. I'm trying to think who the other guy is that's given him a totally random contribution. Like Chatwood's even like yeah. done. Okay. He's had his moments where he's been shitty and walking guys again, but yeah, the bullpen's just a bunch of guys right now getting it done. It's kind of wild. But yeah, I mean, I guess going into the year, that was probably that and the starting pitching were probably the two biggest question marks. So certainly good to see those getting turned around and then back to the bullpen. If Morrow's able to come back and give him anything down the stretch, that'd be, I mean, that's basically a deadline pickup so wouldn't count on it though yeah on the 60 day um so he had a setback so i think that's gonna be very late in the fall but yeah i would love to see him uh unfortunately i think dave roberts ruined him potentially by using him in every game of the uh the world series so (laughs) yeah that was him looking ahead to a couple years knowing he wasn't going to be back that's some people might call that smart managing fuck you Anywho, uh, on that note, we'll take the red line down a couple stops and check in on the south side. Uh, Sox had a very decent week this week. They started off in Cleveland on a series against the Indians. Uh, they won Monday 9-1. to Moncada had four RBIs. James McCann, who's been hitting the cover off the ball, had a homer. Uh, Nova actually looked pretty good. Eight innings, five strikeouts. Uh, Tuesday, they won 2-0, so a little bit opposite low scoring affair. Giolito was the star of that game, had eight strikeouts, no earned runs, so good to see him turning that around. 
Uh, they closed the series against the Indians on a little bit more of a sour note. Uh, they lost both Wednesday and Thursday. Wednesday was a 5-3 loss. Really, the only bright spot was uh, Jose Abreu's home run, and then uh, Jose Ramirez walked it off for the Indians in the ninth. Thursday was a 5 nothing loss, just one of those games you never really in. Uh, it's going to happen, so not too worried about that. After that series in Cleveland, they uh, went up a little bit north into the great white beyond and played against the Blue Jays in Toronto. Uh, lost Friday night in the first matchup of Randall Grichuk and Tim Anderson after that whole t- Twitter spat. Uh, lost 4-3. to three. Grichuk and t- Tim both hit home runs, and Kovey started, which Kovey didn't look great, so not really a surprise there. Uh, weekend ended on a lot better note, though, with wins uh, Saturday and then uh, today when we're recording Sunday. Saturday, they won 7-2. to two. Nova, again, looked pretty good, which, I mean, if Ivan Nova can just look pretty solid every time out there, I think every Sox fan will take that. Um, McCann had four more hits, so he's been, like I said, he's in like 400 right now, which is, I mean, he's not going to keep that up, but if he can like have a breakout year, maybe like an Avi 2017-esque season, I'll certainly take that because Wellington Castillo's given us nothing. And then today, a 5-1 win, just great all around. We scored all five runs in one inning. I believe it was the fourth Tim Anderson and Abreu hit home runs. And then Giolito with another just incredible start, seven innings, one earned run, and eight strikeouts. He's looking locked in right now, so if they can get that going and he can, you know, after last year, it seemed like everybody was, myself included, was ready to write, uh, close the book on him, but after a kind of rough start to the season, if he can start to turn it around and get a little more consistent, that's that's a great development because right now this pitching staff needs somebody to just get through a season, make strides, and not get hurt, so... Overall, not a bad week for the Sox. They went four and three. They're only three games under 500, which at least for me is kind of incredible to think about with how bad of an offseason they had, how their biggest acquisitions were Irvin Santana and James McCann, I guess, uh, that they're only three games under 500 and only three games back of the wild card in May is pretty silly. So yeah, I guess it's also frustrating because it th- makes you think what could be right now if they actually would have tried to make the team better, but uh, I guess no point in beating that dead horse anymore. No, and I mean, the White Sox, I feel like, you know, they're not, I mean, we all know it's a rebuilding situation. You follow them a lot closer than I do. But the one thing is they can kind of tread water and kind of hang around that 500 mark. I don't know if they'll eclipse it anytime soon, but I just think, um, you know, the AL Central, and I'm trying to think what the other division is, but either the AL Central or, um, man, uh, the AL West, like the the AL is just outside of the East. The AL is just not looking uh, that strong. Obviously, Houston's the outlier here. Mm-hmm. But how long do we think the Twins are going to keep this up? I'd be interested uh, to hear your perspective on that because, like Detroit, the Sox, Kansas City, like you know the teams mm-hmm. behind the Astros, Angels, Mariners, Athletics, you know Rangers. Obviously, like that's not uh, very. <laughs> they're not very good teams. And then you've got teams like Toronto and Baltimore too. I mean, I just think the AL overall is um, not as strong as we've seen in recent years where it's kind of been a, an open field with a lot of good teams in it, you know, um, yep. but the NL East, I mean, the, the AL East, excuse me, is obviously very top heavy and good, but I think the White Sox obviously have an opportunity here to hang around. Cause I just don't, I just think playing in the AL central, like you're going to every, you can, I mean, it's baseball, right. But especially playing in that mm-hmm. division, like every game is winnable. It's attainable. Um, so yeah, I mean, play the, do your do good work against the Royals and the Tigers, right? And hey, w- see what happens. I I completely share that thought. Like the AL 
real top heavy. You got some of the best teams in baseball with Houston, New York, and Boston and Tampa. But like outside of that, nobody else is really trying to win, which makes the Sox situation in the Central right now even more frustrating because it's like, I mean, Cleveland was supposed to be the front runners, and they're, I mean, they're doing okay. I expect them to turn it around, but you know, Kluber's been hurt, uh, Lindor was hurt, Clevenger's out for God knows how long. He's on a sixty-day DL after starting off the season on fire, so they got uncertainty there. Uh, the Twins, I mean, I don't. I could see them maybe keeping around in the wild card race, but I just don't think long term that team is really built to do much damage. But, you know, in this division, when they're playing against three rebuilding teams, 60 games a year, I mean, they could easily win 88 games and make the playoffs, which, you know, it's frustrating because if the Sox can stay around 500, they're in it. Like right now, they're seven games back in Minnesota and Minnesota has been on fire. And like with all the doom and gloom that's being thrown around about the White Sox, it's pretty crazy that they're still like, you know, somewhat in it. So. I'm hoping they can keep it close to 500, at least keep me entertained the rest of the year. I, I just, I'm tired of these throwaway years where by the time it's June, I already know like, well, maybe we'll get some bright spots later in the season. So we'll see the ALs, but yeah, it's the AL is not a good place right now. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm not trying to throw, obviously, I'm sure the people at home can tell I'm a pretty, pretty big Cubs guy and I don't want to like come off as a homer, but um, you know, with the, the White Sox situation, I'm not trying to like pick on you guys, but there's been some speed bumps with the rebuild um, with a lot of number of the prospects. And I think it's important. Um, I think in a normal year where the AL is a little more competitive, obviously, right. They're not three games back of the Red Sox right now for the second wildcard spot. Um, they're not probably three, only three games under um, in general, but I just think having a kind of a mush schedule is kind of has them where they're at, but what's good. My point here is that I think it's good for the development of the young players, like guys like Mankata, um, who are still healthy and active for the White Sox um, to be, you know, to not have those throwaway uh, months that you're talking about. I mean, for a player's psyche, like it's kind of good for a player's development, at least if you ask me, if, you know, they're playing meaningful baseball later on into the year. Cause I mean, yeah, just, it, I mean, it, there's no pressure on the young guys or not, there's not as much pressure, right. When the, the stakes aren't as high, but I think it's good if Mankata's getting at bats where there's actually reason to give a shit in the middle of June and July. So, for their, I think for a developmental uh, perspective, it'd be cool if they can um, kind of tread water, like I mentioned earlier, and kind of stay on that fringe, stay on the peripheral, the wild card, kind of have a little bit of hope there. But I think we would agree that um, the wild card, I mean, it's it's hard to envision them being able to leapfrog mm-hmm. one of those AL East teams. I think the AL East has a great shot to get three teams uh, in. The Glasnow injury. He's out four to six weeks with a forearm, I think, some sort of forearm issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that hurts Tampa a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it'd be good for uh, – it'd be cool. They got some meaningful at-bats uh, where they're not out of the playoff picture at the end of May. I think, you know, yeah, that I think you hit the nail on the head there because I get, like, they're professional athletes and they're all trying to win. So, you know, the whole ah, – they're going to learn how to lose may not be valid, but there is something if they're coming up in their developmental years – and just all their tars, oh, like eventually you're going to start winning. That's it's just not good. So if we can see some Tim Anderson bat flips and Mankata bat drops and, you know, big situations, I'll take that. And yeah, like wild card, probably not going to happen. But the division, it's just it's frustrating seeing a team that's like, you th- honestly, I would say a Machado or another couple decent, not even Machado, like a McCutcheon or a, Pol- a healthy Pollock, somebody just decent at the major league level that could have put them that much closer to closing the gap in the central, but again, at this point, off season's done. Uh, we got what we got, uh, except for, uh, you know, we got, uh, I think Pablo Orlando from the Dodgers. So the cavalry's coming, but 
Yeah. It was just, it's going to be, hopefully, you know, if this season is a step forward and we're a little bit closer to 500, I'll take it. I just need to see steps from the guys, and I'd like to see it, you know, at least be somewhat interesting. Yeah, question for you. If um, they manage to somehow stay on that peripheral of the wild card, you know, if they stay in that three to five games back range uh, at the deadline, are you are you all in on selling? Or I mean, obviously, this is not this is not the year they're supposed to win. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I, I think they have long odds probably to stay within the range they're in right now because Boston's starting to pick it up and you know things like that. But I'd be curious. I mean, if they're three to five out, are you still going to trade a, I feel like you still got to trade a Nova or if he's, if he's being an innings eater and he's got value to a contender, I feel like you got to try to get some value back. But at the same time, I, I think it'd be better for their, their future to obviously continue to try to hoard some assets. Don't you think? Yeah. So I think my thing is if there's a couple guys, I don't want them to trade. Like, I think at this point, the idea of trading Jose Abreu is like just nonsense he's worth more to the White Sox just in terms of what he brings to the franchise as a leader on connecting with some of the younger guys. So they're not going to get what they're asking for. If, if they could flip like an Ivan Nova or a, you know, Colome near the end of the year, I'd be okay with that. I, the one thing I'm thinking of though, is I think something that they, I think probably not till this offseason need to look at is the idea of sell, uh, trading off some of the like not sure thing prospects for assets. I mean, that's what the Brewers did. They weren't that close, and then all of a sudden they start trading. They have excess prospects, and they start trading them, and now they have Christian Yelich, a couple other big pieces. So we'll see what happens, but that's what I'm hoping. They get a little more aggressive this offseason. Not, I'm not expecting a ton this year. Maybe they can trade somebody for some like depth arms, but that's probably about all I'm expecting. Yeah, and I think on the north side of town, I, I mean, there's a couple issues uh, with the Cubs. Obviously, they kind of have a – a bit of a revolving door uh, at the leadoff position, but I mean, an ideal leadoff guy is like a, a Lorenzo Kane or something. Mm-hmm. They didn't pull the trigger on that. And um, Zobrist has been, uh, he's been good. And he's a switch hitter, but um, obviously he's not like a liability, but he's not exactly a guy who's going to steal an extra base or go first to third as often as you'd like. Um, you know, even though he's a good contact hitter and unfortunately um, I don't want to speculate, but it, appears he might be having some off-field issues of some sort. He's a MIA right now. He's on the reserve list, so he's out. They brought up Addison Russell. They've had Hayward leading off um, the past few games. Almora's obviously um, let off some games, but he has a very um, incredibly low walk rate, which is concerning as a center fielder, and he's not as fleet of foot as people uh, might think. Uh, he doesn't really swipe a lot of bags. He's got which the weird he's like an odd he's a totally bizarre situation to me because he doesn't hit the ball hard really at all and he doesn't really hit for a lot of power and it's weird he's a weird guy on the base pads because he doesn't like he's really not that fast he doesn't beat out a lot of balls but he's really good defensively it's like i don't understand how he has so much range defensively but on the bases he's not really a menace he just he probably makes great reads on the ball but Elmore is an interesting case but yeah not to rant too much but <laughs> lead off is a position they could possibly address but i don't know if there's a true like i don't know if there's like a lorenzo kane type guy who's going to be available at the deadline so i doubt they fill that but like i said earlier i you said the white Sox could maybe get a few arms either now or in the winter but yeah i think the cubs will be looking i mean this is down the line a couple months but yeah maybe they uh they had some bullpen arms but hey you don't have to wait till july as we saw with the jose quintana trade um yep. in 2017 you know they saw the value in getting not waiting that extra 
a couple months, you know, it's a trade between our clubs. Right. And, uh, they kind of like, you know, they needed a little shot in the ass, a little shot in the arm, whatever you want to call it. And they got Quintana in May instead of waiting until um, July. And, yeah, you got the waiver deadline in August. So, yeah, I, I'm hoping for some arms. So, we'll see. Hey, well, you know, if you need a leadoff hitter, could I interest you in another uh, crosstown trade for Adam Angle or Larry Garcia? Yeah, I don't know. As, as you so eloquently <laughs> put it, yeah, we'll have some angles in the outfield, as you said, when we were at the, the game last Friday. Unfortunately, uh, for Adam Engel, speaking of probably a good point now to transition into some of the bigger stories for the White Sox, Adam Engel, uh, the era is over. The 2018 Gold Glove runner-up is back in Charlotte, and what really should be a surprise to nobody, he you know, made his whole career a great defender, made a lot of acrobatic catches. Uh, there certainly were some angles in the outfield when he was out there, but the guy could just not hit to save his life. And I think you know that was the rationale there. Like Ricky said, if he could hit 250 and have you know, like what a 350 on base percentage, he'd be an absolutely great fourth outfielder to have. But right now he doesn't have that. So uh, he got sent down and in his place that came up was new Trier's finest Charlie Tilson, who kind of like Ryan Cordell earlier, he's been hitting the ball. Well, I don't, I mean, when he's been up before, he hasn't been able to keep that up, but you know, if he can be a serviceable bat and a serviceable fielder, that's an upgrade as our fourth guy right now. So I'll certainly take it. Not a in a slow news week for the Southsiders, that was one of the bigger stories. Uh, I mean, outside of that, you know, we're waiting for more news on Rodon's elbow injury. Uh, he got recommended for Tommy John, but it's going to get a second opinion. I think we all know how that's going to end. Eloy is supposedly coming back in a couple weeks. Uh, I think they said late May, maybe. We'll see. You don't want to rush him, but also don't want him to miss too much time. So we're kind of walking a little bit of a tightrope there. And then outside of that with the Sox, that, you know, that was really all that happened outside of the Paulo Orlando Pablo. I don't, I don't really know his. I can't remember his name from the Paulo Orlando. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So that was, you know, that was a big trade. We sent over uh, the cash considerations that Jerry Reinsdorf had acquired in some trades for the Bulls. So it's good to see <laughs> those two teams working together to, you know, make something happen. So I guess now it makes sense why this is why we're trading guys away from the Bulls. I'd actually like to think it's the the cash that the mayor of five hundred nine has been dishing out for some. Uh, Modelo's no free ads, but uh, the mayor of 509, as we like to call you, so un- ran unopposed, right? Oh, yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was a hard fought election right to the very end. Uh, you know, just really just fighting through the cycle of announcing my candidacy was really what it took to get me across the finish line. So, is a, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to serve my people, but it, you know, it's good to see it, them making moves for guys that will probably never play in the big league team. But, you know, uh, we were kind of talking about this a little bit earlier. As a Brazilian, uh, uh, Paulo Orlando, I think I got that right this time. Uh, you know, he's joining a long line of Brazilians that have played for the White Sox, uh, headlined by Andre Rienzo, who I believe was the first ever Brazilian pitcher. So, well, Sox voice had a strong presence in Cuba. Maybe now it's expanding, uh, expanding over to Brazil. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. Not a lot of Brazilian influence in the MLB. The nope. only other guy I can really think off the top of my head is uh, Jan Gomes, a long time. Catcher, um, who is now on the, oh my God, where did I he think go? the Nationals, right? Yeah, he yeah. on the net. He was obviously with Cleveland for mm-hmm. um, a long time. Um, should I go through the current events with the Cubs, uh, other than them being an absolute wagon? Yeah, let's you know what. Uh, yeah, let's see. Let's hear what's going on with them. Yeah, yeah. It's been um, the Cubs have obviously. There's a lot of storylines this week on and off the field. So we had alluded to the Ben Zobris absence. Uh, he's on the reserve list. 
Um, he went, uh, so since he's, as far as we know, it's not um, injury um, related, but um, he did show up a few days late to spring training for what they call personal issues. And then um, like the, it's kind of out there on social media. Like I don't want to speculate, but it has been reported uh, that his wife who he also comes up to for his walk-up music. It's a Benny and the Jets. Uh, I, I was going to ask, is he still is he still coming out to that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh god. <laughs> I was going to say if that had if, if that had changed, then there'd be a probably a little bit uh, more of a red flag going up. But... Yeah. Apparently, she deleted all of the pictures. Uh, oh boy. Involving the two of them off her Instagram account. Which that's like... I'm not sure it's public or not. I don't know how people figured that out, but um... that's the kiss of death in 2019. Yeah, she's a singer. I'm guessing it's public. It's probably pretty public. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, um, so he's gone in lieu of his absence. Uh, Addison Russell um, completed uh, his, I think it was a 40 game suspension for um, obviously the domestic um, incidents, incident or incidents, whatever you want to call it, but domestic violence uh, suspension. Um, he was playing at, uh, you know, AAA Iowa, um, hitting pretty well down there. And then, um, you know, with uh, Zobrist um, going and uh, going and uh, Ian Happ being down in AAA, um, the Cubs had a, a need in the, the middle infield. Um, Descalso was also dealing with an ankle issue. Uh, he was not put on the injured list, uh, the IL as we like to call it now, um, 2019, you know. So, uh, yeah, we, 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 we changed with the times. Yeah, we changed with the times. Yeah, so. Um, a couple of changes in the bullpen. Um, Alan Webster went down. Carl Edwards was recalled up. Um, we I talked about his command issues earlier. The former White Sox Xavier Cedeno um, was just um, activated, and Pedro Strope um, went on the IL. Um, and they Alan Webster got sent down. So yeah, we've had the obviously there's some potential off field storylines with. Russell and Zobrist and some injuries in the, the back end of the bullpen. Oh, Mike Montgomery's back as well. Um, Montgomery came in relief of you Darvish on um, Thursday afternoon in the final game of their four game series with the Marlins. And um, so he's back. Um, he had like a lat strain or something, but Darvish only oh, fucking you Darvish. He drives <laughs> me off the wall. 97 pitches through four. Uh, six Jeez. walks in those four innings and Montgomery first appearance off like a month long stint on the DL. He came in and threw uh, five scoreless innings. He finished the game. Uh, they won four to one um, as they did tonight as well. But uh, yeah, Montgomery came in and was way more efficient than, than you Darvish. So uh, yeah, a lot of, it's kind of scary. Like the Cubs were playing real well and all these injuries and off field distractions and stuff popped up right before a pretty big series with the Brewers and then you lose seven, nothing. You're like, shit, shit, shit. But, um, big time recovery these past two days. So, um, eked out a couple wins, just enough offense to get by, but a win is a win is a win. So I guess, well, back to Addison Russell, were you, were you at the game? He, uh, made his return to Wrigley yet. I was not, um, in attendance. That was on uh, Friday. I only got to go a uh, poor me. I've only been to like, <laughs> 11. I think t- tonight was my 11th. Uh, game of the year at Bendu. I live fairly close to the ballpark. Um, so I, some, hey, I mean, you're going to, StubHub's going to, no free ads, but if StubHub's going to let me poach some good lower level seats for 10, 15 bucks, I mean, I'm going to be uh, an unofficial season ticket holder. So I'll go as much as I can. But no, I had a 
work obligations on Friday, but um, a mixed review. Obviously, mm-hmm. some people, you know, respect what he's done for them. A lot of people abhor him for um, what he did off the field. Um, a lot of people are, you know, maybe indifferent on it or didn't really pay it, don't really pay attention because they're tourists. I don't really know. But um, yeah, definitely a, a mixed review. But, um, you know, he came up, you know, from what I can tell, he hasn't been getting like, uh, there was, he definitely got some booze, but. I think when he comes up, no one's booing him. No one's really cheering him. They kind of just, kinda, I don't know if it's like an intentional silent treatment, but um, yeah, it's, I think fans are definitely taking it in stride. Let's say it's, uh, it's, I understand it both ways. I mean, he is quite clearly like the best infield option they have in the system. Like, you know, on the 40 man roster, right? He's, he, I mean, just plain and simply if Zobris is down with, uh, Ian Happ having his issues and not being nearly as good defensively as As like Aston Russell's way better defensively. Um, you know, it's one of those things where he it's kind of a you know it's a it's a touchy subject, and I think the Cubs were hoping to keep him in Iowa longer, but the injuries kind of you know forced their hand or injuries slash off field stuff. You know, just you know they had some they had a roster opening, they had a need, and. Uh, yeah, he's had a couple starts, I think, but um, it's uh, he's more of like I think they're kind of just easing him back in. He's kind of a defensive replacement. He came in tonight um, in the seventh inning for Descalso, so I mean he has value, but I understand why people might think the Cubs are being kind of tone deaf and maybe they thought they brought him back like the second. Um, but I do like what Theo Epstein has said for the most part um, about the situation. He made it. He I think his quote was. Just because he's back in the MLB doesn't mean he's crossed the finish line or anything. He's got to continually, you know, progress and, you know, his work is not done. Um, just because he's back doesn't mean he's crossed the finish line kind of thing. So I thought that was a pretty eye-opening quote, but you never know if that's just lip service to make the fans feel better. Because, yeah, he's kind of a piece of shit, but he brings value. And obviously, talent's the only reason he's even in the league anymore. Because, I mean, if he was a pretty, if he was a bad player, then, right? The guy would, mm-hmm. wouldn't be worth the baggage. But, yeah, it's been interesting, man. Yeah, I think, you know, I I don't know. I was – when he was coming back and it was announced that he was going to be making his return to Wrigley, I, I was interested to see what kind of treatment he was going to get. I knew it wasn't going to be a, you know, just thundering rain of booze. But I was, you know, I was really hoping just for the sake of, you know, Chicago as a city that he wasn't going to get the Josh Hader treatment like a standing O. Oh, that, uh, that disgusting. That yeah, I was. I had. had I, I was, been there. I'm just gonna let you know. Had yeah. I been there, if people care, like I would have just sat and I would have just sat down. I wouldn't have booed and I wouldn't have clapped. Like that's where yeah. I'm at on it. Like I'm kind of like, I think what he did is terrible, and I didn't. I didn't mean to like jump in front of you there, but like just so like my reaction had I been there would I just would have been like indifferent, like just like hey, mm-hmm. hopefully you you are a changed person, but yeah, we're disappointed in what you did, man. Yeah, I think you know. I think that's a good way to put it because, just I think that was probably the the best thing that could have happened in this situation from a fan reaction. Is just there wasn't much of a reaction. Like he's just any other guy. Um, not to take away from what he did, uh, you know, and out off the field, but I just you know definitely happy he didn't get the Josh Hader treatment. Um, I, some of the comments he made earlier in the week. I know they asked they asked him about the booze, and he said something along the lines of. Uh, you know, if like fans want to boo somebody who's helping them win, uh, then that's their deal. Was a little bit tone deaf. He eventually walked that back. So, I think guys yeah. not a public guys not a public speaker. That's 
abundantly clear in a lot of the ways he's talked throughout this that whole thing. But stupid quote, by the way. Stupid yeah, quote. Just yeah, that I mean that was that's like the type of stuff that you just I feel that like was they, tone deaf as shit. Yeah, I feel like that was stupid. Yeah, after they said that, I feel like he just they probably sat him down and were like, yeah, like you just don't talk unless you absolutely have to. So. Oh yeah. We'll see how that. Uh, it, one how other the... interesting thing too is uh, you were talking about fan reception. We were just talking about how boisterous or how lack uh, lack thereof maybe Cub fans were uh, with the reception he got. There were some boos, there were some cheers, but overall it wasn't like a wasn't like a you know an overwhelmingly loud uh, you know cheer jeer either way. Uh, but I mentioned I've been to a few games and I've kind of gone out of my way to be like, I wonder if like. People are still going to like what the, let their kids wear his jersey, or some hardo dudes are still going to rock his jersey. And mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen a lot of, uh, I have not seen uh, a lot of twenty seven jerseys. I'll just say that I, I honestly can't recall seeing one yet. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you got to be. It's kind of a bold move to wear it because you might offend mm-hmm. a lot of people. Because uh, yeah, there's going to, I mean. There's a lot of female baseball fans, and like, yeah, you gotta understand where they're coming from. Where, uh, you know, they might not. I mean, obviously, you're not personally attacking them, but you know, if you there's some people who think that if you wear his jersey, that you're in, uh, you're showing a sign of solidarity with you know domestic violence. But I mean, it could just be a jersey you bought three years ago before you knew who he was. But I mean, or you knew what he possibly was doing off the field or was gonna do, but. Yeah, I haven't even seen his jersey. So, yeah, he, I think Cub fans are very, very reluctantly and slowly kind of accepting him back. But not everyone is. There's certainly people that are like, I will do anything to try. To, I think I can tweet this out and yell this at the game. To, and Theo Epstein will finally hear me and release him. But, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, an, it's, it's interesting. It, you hate, it, it's, a, it's a disappointing thing. He was such a good contributor. Mm-hmm. Um and this has not helped him as a baseball player. He was not very good last year. He quite simply, like, he's still good defensively, but he was not very good last year. And um, he's been kind of iffy at the plate. He had a nice uh, single to right field in one of the other ga- one of the games. Um, but yeah, so far it's been a very small sample size. But it's he's kind he's looking like the same guy he was in 2018 um, so far, which was not a uh, not uh, what we were accustomed to seeing from him. So this is not. Uh, been good for his career um so i hope he figures it out because he's only worth the distraction if he's performing because if he's if he's not hitting um and he's not you know if he starts sliding in the uh defensive side of the game too like you know he's not going to have a job because ian haps improving right now zobris is possibly going to come back like just because he's on the team like even in his personal life doesn't mean he's crossed the finish line like theo said but he's got to perform to keep a job because fans are really i think if he skids like for a month like fans are gonna be like all right this guy sucks and he's probably still a piece of shit like we need to get rid of him so he's got a he's got it's it's a big he's got a lot of pressure on him because he's got a lot to prove to the fans um in a number of areas so he's gonna be an interesting guy to watch here the next month because i think yeah he wow it's it's a tough situation he's got to he's got to perform because it he's got to be worth he's got to perform to be worth a distraction and everything you know what i mean yeah, definitely. Which I think just, you know, purely speaking from the baseball side of things, I'm interested to see how the reaction changes. Like you said, if his performance does lie, because I in agreement that if he, you know, if he's not, if he's not hitting and can't really contribute, then the value's gone. And then it's much easier to make a decision based on uh, the off the field stuff. 
Yes. Anywho, moving on to a little bit of a happier subject after that all uh, discussion. Uh, now we'll do our weekly tradition of going through the player of the week for each team. I'll start off with the Sox. Uh, for me, I kind of talked about him a little bit earlier in this uh, installment. Uh, but for me, player of the week, Lucas Giolito, uh, two starts, two wins, 16 strikeouts and only two walks, which for him is huge. Last year, the only guy that walked more people than him was Tyler Chatwood, so certainly not good company to be in. So if he can you know, switch around that ratio, that's great. He only gave up one earned run, so his ERA now is down to th- right around three and a half, which again, great. Uh, you know, just great performances from him this week. His command is looking a lot better. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's been talked about a lot. His arm slot has changed. It's much closer to his body, which being a 6'5 guy, it's harder to pick up on the ball. So that's working for him. And his mechanics are much more repeatable. That's completely great. Especially after, you know, he was left for dead last year. Like not many people were big on him anymore. So if he can figure it out, that's incredibly big for this rebuild, especially given the pitching injuries to guys like Kopech, Dunning, uh, and now potentially rode on. Uh, yeah, I think overall this was a great week for Giolito. Just getting to see those flashes out of him are always good. And yeah, I think if he can really be a middle or rotation starter for us down the road, fantastic. That's, I think, more than anyone's expecting. So certainly take that. So for all these reasons, uh, Lucas Giolito is my player of the week for the Sox. Yeah, my player for the Cubs this week, player of the week, has got to be you, Darvish. No, completely kidding. That was an embarrassing <laughs> start. Oh, my God. It, he drives me absolutely mm-hmm. insane. He, he can't go deep into games. It's it's He needs to – he's got to be the most expensive fifth starter in baseball right now. Um, I guess at least, you know, you got if you got the other starters performing well, at least hurts less. It, I mean, then it only hurts the wallet. It's, but. it's just crazy to me because, um, you know, with, with you, it, it's – you're playing the Marlins who don't have any thump in that lineup whatsoever. And man, if you're at home and you're walking six Marlins and 97 pitches through four, like what's going to happen if you have to play like LA or something in the playoffs? Like, mm-hmm. just, Yeah, not good. But um, this one's really, this one was a no brainer uh, pick for me. It's, it's Chris Bryant. He's one of the, the hottest players uh, in baseball right now. Um, so he is currently sporting a, 22 uh, game on base streak with a slash line of 289 for his batting average, um, 450 on base percentage, and a 671 slugging percentage. So some quick math here. His OPS during that 22 game um, on base streak is – this is not very quick math. Uh, <laughs> it's not. Math is hard. I think it's 1121.1121, I guess, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, but uh, – yeah, he's got uh, five homers uh, in his last uh, eight games. Um, he actually interesting. I don't really know the, the names. I don't want to slander uh, any companies here, but um, he was using a bat like a few weeks ago and then like his normal bat. And, he, you know, his power numbers were kind of off to begin the year. And then in the middle of the bat, he started using this type of bat that I believe Mookie Betts uh, is famous for using. And like the grip is different on it, and some some other things. And he's been barreling up the ball, and he's been hitting damn well, um, obviously. So, um, yeah, KB has been awesome. He now um, currently is sporting his career best um, weighted runs created, um, weighted on base average, um, best walk percentage, and lowest strikeout percentage. So um, he was like, the power was down, but his batting average on balls in play early in the year was uh, career low. Um, so you're kind of like the, the exit velocity was like a career high, but the 
batting average on balls in play. And maybe this is just baseball with the, um, the shifts and everything, uh, you know, taking away some, the advanced scouting obviously is very prominent. I think the Brewers do a great job of it. Like the Cubs were hitting some frozen ropes right at guys all weekend. It was incredibly frustrating, uh, but you know, still one, two out of three, but, uh, yeah, KB has just been awesome. And now that the ball's starting to leave the yard, we're starting to see how special of a player he is again. Um, he's looking like the MVP guy from 2016. I mean, the guy is in a fucking on-base machine, and he's hitting for power. He's he's damn good. So, um, yeah, a little fun fact, too, about the Cubs. Um, this is from uh, – and also those stats, of the career best stats, that were that was were via uh, Matt Clapp at the blog finds. But Patrick Mooney uh, from NBC Sports Chicago – says the first-place Cubs have won eight straight series for the first time since the middle of the 2008 season. Every opponent during that stretch, except for the Miami Marlins, was 500 when the series began. The Cubs are now a season-high 10 games over 500. So even with some uh, distractions on and off the field, some guys on the injured list, uh, the big boys are coming out to play right now um, for the Cubs. They're getting pitching. The bullpen's looking great, and they're, their best hitter's hitting like one of the best players on the planet. So uh, that's a big part of why uh, they've really turned the season around in a big way. Yeah, I think, you know, Bryant coming alive is huge for them because that was really the one piece missing through the probably first month, little month plus of the year. You know, the rotation was looking good outside of uh, Darvish. Uh, You got the contributions from guys like Hayward. um, Javi was being Javi. so, you know, just getting guys like uh, Brian and Rizzo back to go, and that's going to make that team even more dangerous. So if they can keep that going, we'll see how close the Central is, but they're certainly going to have a be right in the driver's seat there. Yeah, 195 games uh, last year with him missing, I think, three months with the shoulder issue after he slid head first um, in the first base, which I never recommend, but uh, it actually slows you down. Uh, I, to avoid a colli- the occasional collision, it, it makes sense, but... It's not a habit you run to get a new, but I'm not trying to criticize the guy. He's been awesome uh, so far in his still young career. Um, but, yeah, uh, him he's so valuable to the Cubs because, man, the guy only knows how many games they would have won. Uh, they certainly would have won the division had he not been um, – had he not gotten injured last year and he didn't look the same when he came back. I uh, just didn't look like himself. But that shoulder is looking good. And I don't want to just say him switching the bat is what completely fixed him, but obviously – you start having a couple more balls fall uh, where they ain't, and you have a couple extra balls leave the yard. Like he's probably, I mean, he's his confidence has got to be much higher than it was uh, in April, early April. So uh, it's great to see him hitting well. Uh, he was my, I wasn't on a podcast or anything to um, announce it, but he was my um, NL MVP pick before the year. Obviously guys like Bellinger and, uh, Yelich have gotten off to hot starts, so I'm not sure if that's going to happen. Uh, but he's looking like an MVP quality um, player again, for sure. Yeah, which I think, you know, it's funny bringing that up with Ballinger. I was at a Dodger game out in L.A. this week, and when I see that he's still hitting like 394, it's just it's insane to think about. Like You think the guy's not going to keep it up, but I don't know. It, if he can keep it there, I think you know the MVP is going to be pretty easy, but we'll see. Um, you know, especially the player like Brian hitting well, it's good for the game in general. He's one of the more popular players. So if he can, you know, continue to keep heating up, it's going to be a big year for the Cubs. Yeah. The Dodgers though, you, you saw, man, they are playing some yep. good baseball. I think they've got the best record, um, in the NL, right? Yeah. I so, believe that's correct. Yep. They're, they're, I mean, they're, they got hitting their pitchings. 
Kershaw may not be what he used to, but uh, you know, Rich Hill hasn't looked bad. It's it's that's going to be a tough team to beat come the playoffs. But you know, yeah, they've fallen apart in the World Series the last two years, so we'll see what happens. Playoff baseball is just a different animal. We can't let them get there again. It's our time to mm-hmm. take that back. Hopefully, we'll see. <laughs> I don't want to jump ahead. Give me a couple bullpen arms, and I'm I'll go all in on it. Yeah. But uh, I think we're a couple pieces away. But hey, they can add too, right? So. Is Friedman is uh, he's an aggressive dude, and I re- I respect the man. Uh, he did a lot of good work in Tampa, and he's obviously get, gotten that team, um, gotten them over uh, the hump since he's um, joined them. Well, gotten them over the hump, and to a degree, um, obviously they're one they've fallen one round short a couple times, but a uh, couple times here. But yeah, that's that organization's a machine. They're not going no, they're not going anywhere anytime soon, especially getting Seager back. Um, big. Big, yep. big time stuff from them. Yeah, talk about a wagon. Uh, anyhow, let's uh, at that point let's uh, move on to our next segment. Uh, this is our weekly segment. We like to call the LinkedIn Player Profile. Uh, we'll be going each going through a random White Sox and Cub from years past. I'll lead off. Uh, my pick for this week is former reliever Aaron Wasserman, and that's Aaron spelt the not usual way E H R E N. So that in itself is unique. Uh, a little bit of background on Aaron Wasserman. He played for the Sox for two years in 07 and 08 as a reliever. I uh, had, I believe, like 50-some appearances, nothing too crazy, very mediocre. Apparently, he'll never allow a home run in his career, so guy knew how to avoid giving up the long ball. Uh, he was a – it was interesting. He was an undrafted free agent originally with the White Sox. Uh, he was selling knives in, before, you know, before they had signed him, which I – connect with as a former Cutco sales rep myself. So, you know, I guess me and him might be kindred spirits to an extent. Uh, you know, like I said, short stint with the Sox. Don't really, there's kind of a gap in what I'm finding, what he was doing then. I went on to coach as a pitching coach for the Windy City Thunderbolts, Indy League team uh, out around the city here. And then for... I've never league, heard of them. What? I, th- I believe they're the Joliet Slammers now. Oh. Yeah, it used to be the Thunderbolts. Like, I think they might have changed names like six, seven years ago. Oh, how about that? Well, yeah. I remember when they were the Joliet Jackhammers. Yeah. I believe. Yeah, no, that's right. I Maybe maybe it's a different team, but I I remember when I was like 10, I went to a Thunderbolts I'll, game. So I'll, I'll do a little uh, – <laughs> I'll, I'll get the uh, Google machine going while you continue. I'll, I'll do some uh, Windy City Thunderbolts uh, scouting. Sounds good. His, his, historical references here. <laughs> So moving on, after his time as a pitching coach, uh, you know, he kind of got out of the baseball world for a little bit. He got his Master of Education from the University of Montevallo and is now a science teacher at, uh, according to his LinkedIn, uh, that's the name LinkedIn Player Profiles, Westavia Hills High School in Birmingham, Alabama. According to Wikipedia, he is also an assistant uh, baseball coach. So, you know, keeping that dream alive, but kind of went the Breaking Bad route and is now a high school science teacher. So interesting career turn for the guy and probably not a very memorable player, but you know, that name for me and the sidearm delivery he would come out with made those uh, two years stick in my head. So thought I knew his name was going to come eventually. So this week was a good time to kind of dive in a little bit. Yeah. Awesome, man. Uh, I'm doing a little, uh, Winnie city thunderbolts. This is the content that people have been craving. Um, <laughs> <laughs> These are the things that keep me up at night. <laughs> but uh, they used to be called the Will County Claws. Ah, that's what it was. Then they be- went to the Cook County Cheetahs. Ooh. 
which is a very ironic name if you follow uh, Chicago politics. <laughs> the Cook County Cheetahs. Uh, oh, God. Yeah, folks. Uh, that was a good one, I guess. W- wind because uh, and, of the politics, not wind. Yeah, exactly. Windbags, baby. Um, so, Windy City Thunderbolt since uh, 2004. Um, so, yeah. They've got their 15-8 all-time in the playoffs. But what's really interesting, I have never heard of this team. They play in Crestwood? Which, where is Crestwood even located? I, I think it's like Southwest. I, I feel like I went to, I know I've been to one of their games before back in the day, but I could not tell you, like if I had a place yeah. that on a map, could not do it. Yeah, they're in the Frontier League, um, but they have some absolutely wicked promotions. So I, hey, I said no free ads, but hell, let's just go through it anyway. <laughs> $2 tickets on Tuesdays. Ooh. They got dollar hot dog nights on August 14th and 28th. Oh, and July 31st. Dude, dollar they hot dogs are dangerous, light, man. They have beer specials on Thursday, dollar retro and three dollar craft. And <sighs> there is post game wrestling, but there's a White Castle logo next to it, so I don't know what that means. But White Castle wrestles with my stomach, so I don't really eat it anyway. Ah. Um, but uh, wow, yeah, just um, I get four tickets, four hot dogs, four chips, four sodas, and four hats for thirty nine bucks. That is <laughs> this. We, Folks, need, we might have to we might need to do a I was gonna say we might need to get our people in touch with their people and get a little something set up. So Yeah, that's is that sounds like a hell of a night at the ballpark. It sounds like a great uh great time to be a glutton. Just go there and just <laughs> absolutely pillage uh, through some beer and some dogs. So uh, <laughs> that'd be a fun time. Um, um yeah. So shout out to the Windy City Thunderbolts, a uh, Chicago area baseball team that i've never heard of in my life and i love the sport as y'all can tell but hell i for some reason i obviously i knew about juliet and stuff but sorry well uh we got off the rails there no that was important that people wanted to hear yeah it was the content people were craving as i said for sure um so my random cub of the week or linkedin uh what'd you call it sorry. uh link linkedin player profile i think that's the name we're settling on for right now so okay cool uh great resource to find out where your uh, former players are at well, I'm going to talk about former Chicago Cubs All-Star. People literally probably forgot he existed, and I think that's kind of the point of this, mm-hmm. um, is Brian LaHare. So people will remember, it is a wild, wild case, because I was just thinking about random Cubs, and I don't know how he came up, but I always thought it was wild how he, his final MLB season, he was an all-star, and he never played again in the MLB. That's the way um, to go out, though. I mean, he got cucked by Anthony Rizzo, <laughs> so it's kind of understandable. And I mean, from yeah. a playing time standpoint, not um, not in his personal life. But, <laughs> but um, it, yeah, really interesting. So now, obviously, in the MLB, um, there's a rule, right, that every team has to have an all-star representative, and the Cubs went through some um, futile times uh, after – 2008 and before you know joe Banton's arrival in 2015 and lester and all their young guns who kind of came up from 14 and 15 but uh people know the cubs had a you know had some down years uh some downtrodden years so i'm gonna go with brian lahare so brian lahare um was a first baseman um for the cubs in 2012 um i think that was the only year he was there um trying to think yeah because he was so he was like the pacific Coast League Most Valuable Player um, in 2011 and the Joe Bauman Home Run Award. Um, 
So he was named the designated hitter on the Baseball America's 2011 minor league all-star team. Yes, I'm reading this verbatim from Wikipedia. Uh, <laughs> but um, he got – okay, he got promoted. In, so he was a September call-up in 2011. Um, so he did play at the tail end. He got a cup of coffee in 2011. But then 2012, he was the starting um, first baseman. Uh, Dale Swain um, was the uh, manager, and um, Rizzo started in AAA. Um, and Lahair was the first baseman. He had a pretty good season. Now I think his season was. I can go look it up. Um, I'm gonna. I'll go look on his baseball reference or something. Um, but basically, the way I remember it was that Rizzo was in AAA, and then when Rizzo came up, they were like, "Okay, you're gonna go move to right field." Um, so I don't think his numbers were like general All Star numbers. I think it was kind of like, "Well, the Cubs need a guy, and this roster is complete dog shit." So you're gonna be the representative, but. That was it. Like, after Rizzo came up, man, he was just gone. And I kind of wanted to go Wikipedia him and and find out why. And he went to – he went to um, the Fukuoka, F-U-K-U-O-K-A, SoftBank Hawks. Is that a sponsor? Is that, is that, in, is, is that in Japan? Is that – Yeah, it's in the – Oh, wow. Japan specifically. Yeah, I, the Fukuoka SoftBank Hawks. Is literally the name of the team, and SoftBank is with is one word with two capital letters. I'm thinking their Sad. team is literally corp. They literally got a corporately sponsored team name, which is kind of wild. Um, Maybe that's the next step of the from the where the NBA is yeah, at right now. He got a two year deal, four and a half million dollars. Um, so yeah, he had like a, I think the deal had some um, opt outs. Um, and the deal had two million incentives each year. The Cubs received nine hundred and fifty thousand in the deal somehow. Uh, you know, Theo's league. Um, that's the art of the deal, right there. Yeah, that's the art of the deal. Then he went to the Cleveland Indians. Uh, minor league contract. I don't think he made it back up. Minor league contract, twenty fifteen, the following year with the the Boston Red Sox. Then he signed with the um, Somerset Patriots of the Atlantic League of Professional Baseball. For 2016, November 1st became a free agent and has never played again. I don't know if he is officially retired from the game, but it would seem as though he is because he has now, um, since January of 2018, uh, he has been the Billings Mustangs hitting coach, and they are a rookie uh, ball affiliate of the Cincinnati um, Reds. So he's now, I guess, a central division um, rival or influencer, whatever you want to call it. But he... He played uh, his MLB debut was so actually with the Mariners um, in 2008. Man has 21 career home runs and 56 career runs batted in, and the man was an all-star. And ever since his all-star year, he has not been back to the MLB. So I wanted to bring him up because it's kind of like you just feel like Rizzo's been the first baseman forever, but it's like, hey, what happened before him? Whatever happened to – we all know Derek Lee, but, like, you know, do we ever wonder what happened to Hesop Choi after he got <laughs> domed on the infield and never played again? Um, and you know, it's like Brian LaHare. I, I, we know he was just a representative because the team sucked and I know I'm going on and on here. So I want to wrap up, but I just wanted to bring him up and check in to see what he was up to. Cause totally weird that like, well, what'd you do in your last MLB year? Well, I was an all-star and then I went to Japan and then never got back to the big league. So kind of an, an odd story there. I wonder, th- that's a good point. I wonder how many guys like they were an all-star and then never played again outside of like the, you know, the Cal Ripkins, the, those type of players that are all-stars, like the last year of their career, like these guys that kind of come out of nowhere, have an all-star year, and then they're just done. Cause 
you do get some good all-stars out of that whole one uh, one player per team rule. You know, the Sox one year had Matt Thornton. Uh, you had a couple like Carlos Quentin flash in the pan seasons. And then, you know, the Avi Garcia, just one of the greatest seasons I've ever witnessed with my own two eyes in 2017. But it's a... <laughs> <laughs> I I love the way the All Star Game set up because you get these because right now like I have a Matt Thornton 2010 All Star Game jersey in my closet so he was legitimately good though he was yeah just I don't know it's one of those shirts that I have I'm like there's no reason for any person to own this but here we are so yeah I don't want to speculate but he it's got to be a pretty damn short list of guys whose first All Star appearances were in their final MLB season yeah that's I. You know, might there's put- plenty of guys who had longevity, who were great players for a long time, who maybe made the all-star game their last year mm-hmm. as a tribute or were still productive at the end of their careers. But how many guys, because when you make an all-star, um, when you make an all-star team for the first time, it's probably a indication that your career is ascending, right? That you're an ascending player. You figure things out. You're now an all-star. Now you have to follow it up with more productive seasons, obviously to get back to that point. But it would seem as though Lahair was an ascending player and then he just got sent to right field when Rizzo got called up and then had a bad second half and then just couldn't ne- never got another at that. So that's weird. Like how many guys first all-star year first like first all-star year was their last MLB season. That's got to be a short list. He could be the only guy but I don't have um I'm not the Elias Sports Bureau so I don't know this off the top of my head but I would assume. I think it's a safe assumption. The list is probably minuscule. Yeah, we'll send. We'll uh, put that on the R and D department's list of stuff to look into. So maybe we'll have an add answer it, for you in the next couple of weeks. We'll put it in the queue, the, the project queue. Yeah, add it to the log. <laughs> oh man, that's see. That's why I love this segment. You know, we bring up guys I never thought I'd hear about again, but just every week, just you know, super entertaining. Yeah, my ex-wife might be on the next uh, episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I'm kidding. Gosh. I'm. I'm single, folks. <laughs> folks. Oh, man. <laughs> anyway, y'all, I like going Shame out on plug. a... <laughs> I like going out on a high note. So, you know, I think, you know, that's our show for the week. We'll wrap up there. Again, this has been episode eight of the Shoeless Goat podcast uh, that will be available for your listening pleasure. Uh, let me be franksports.com, uh, Spotify, iTunes. So, you know, you got plenty of options out there. Uh, give us a listen, follow along. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on, Nick. Hopefully, we'll get to do this again sometime. Yeah, uh, just one quick correction. I yeah. just want people to find it. It's letmebefrankblog.com. Ah, you know, it's it's late. I'm emotionally, uh, you know, emotionally drained after Game of Thrones tonight. So, hey, I had two Red Bulls today, and the Cubs are buzzing. So, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm with you, man. But yeah, let me be just to be frankblog.com and at LMBF Sports. And what's give your uh, what's the Twitter handle for the show? Uh, it's at, at Shoeless Goat Pods. So- yeah, Bovhan, uh, appreciate you having me on, man. This has been fun. So appreciate you having me uh, come in relief of Nick. Hey, you know, baseball terms. You had, you had big shoes to fill, but I think, you know, overall, we uh, we got the job done just in the nick of time. So I had big shoes to fill, but hopefully I didn't go shoeless. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. The, I, like, we started off with puns and we'll finish with puns. So absolutely. Uh-huh. Cool. Signing off one last time. This has been episode eight.